Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Happy 4th of July. We're celebrating with a few days off. I got a four-day weekend. I'm pretty psyched about that. I'm also psyched. Yes, I said psyched like I'm in the 1990s here. I'm really excited for this episode. So much so that I'm reverting back to my childhood lingo. We have in this interview, Candy Snatch, Danger Rockwell. Super excited. She was amazing. I had such a good time. She's an amazing performer. If you've seen her perform drag, boylesque, anything under the sun. She's been on Greetings from Queer Mountain, our storytelling show before. She's currently been touring and opening with Boyfriend, who she played with at Jazz Fest. She's done so much great stuff. And before we get this episode started, I do want to thank our sponsor, Studio Headphones. S-U-D-I-O. These guys are amazing. I finally got my shit together and started going to the gym. And what is the one thing that you need when you go to the gym? A good set of headphones. Now, Studio, I already had some headphones of theirs that were the bigger ones, which are great for when I record the podcast and edit them. They're the soundproof ones that block everyone out and let everyone at the airport know, do not talk to me. When I'm at the gym, I don't want to use those. I'm sweaty. I'm a mess. I just want little tiny headphones that fit in my ears and are wireless because (laughs) I am clumsy and it is hard enough for me to be on that treadmill, much less having wires hanging all around. So they have these new headphones. They're called the Tolv, T-O-L-V, and they just slip in your ear and they're Bluetooth and they're lightweight and they're fantastic. And I highly recommend them to everyone out there. So definitely check it out. You can go on their website, sudio.com, studio.com. They also have Instagram, social media everywhere. So check them out, send them some love, and enjoy their headphones as I do. And maybe that'll keep me going to the gym because I need something to keep me to go to the gym. But right now we're going to get to this episode. So I'm so excited to bring you all Candy Snatch. So let's do this. Candy Snatch. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It, being in my bed last night felt so good. And I just came home. I had like all this laundry that I'd done before I had gone on tour. And I just promptly pushed it off onto the floor and <laughs> crawled into my bed and finally got more than like four hours of sleep that wasn't on like an airport floor, which felt really amazing. What tour were you on? What were you doing? So I was with Boyfriend and the Rap Cabaret. We flew out to LA and we did a show at the W Hotel. And then we flew up to San Francisco to perform at the YouTube campus, which was really great. It was definitely during the day and the sun was directly in my face. So it was truly a testament to how strong my wig glue was. And, and you were just doing drag with them or were you doing your own performance? Yeah. So for those shows, I get to do a solo, which is funny because I actually do my 
very first drag number I've ever done, which is like my um, bang bang, like disemboweling number where I disembowel myself on stage. I think they like that because it's such an attention getter and it really kind of grabs everybody's attention to let them know that a show's getting ready to happen. And then after that, it's quick change and then I am back up ensemble to really just kind of bring a whole production together. And it's just, her vision is super amazing and I'm always so happy to be like such a part of the show. How did you get hooked up with Boyfriend? Like how did that collaboration happen? So that was actually through Xena Zeitgeist. So I used to live with Xena and Xena came to my graduation and she was performing with Boyfriend at the time as well. And boyfriend, I think, was looking for drag queens. And Zena's like, oh, my gosh, my roommate, Logan, just mm-hmm. did this really awesome drag number. And then so she invited me to perform at her birthday show at Tipitina's, which was like the very first drag gig I got after my graduation. And then after that, it was like, OK, let's do, you know, like on Preservation Hall. We're going to do the Joy Theater. She took me out to San Francisco where we got to perform on the steps of City Hall for San Francisco Pride. Like that was by far the largest crowd ever I have ever performed for. And it was just so amazing that was my very first san francisco pride and i actually had pissed my tights the night before so we had one night off we had one night off this is a funny story we had one night off we went to a vogue party right and i was like all about it so i got into drag i wore in this rhinestone bodysuit that had a snap crotch but because of my pads the crotch kept popping open right so i had whip stitched it shut and we go to the party and i have a great time there's those seven deadly sins themed so there was like a person who was supposed to be sloth who was just sitting at the end of the runway being fed grapes by people like fanning them and gluttony was this girl in the back like in a chocolate fountain like handing out like candy bars to people and then so on and so on so they had like a little pride like a little runway and then a little vogue battle and i won the first battle because i had my rainbow fans with me i was just like living my best life i'm like she is here from new orleans she is in san francisco this is like my gay fantasy and then the second round i had gotten like completely shit face for so i was just gracefully or probably very ungracefully like sidestepped my way like off like the battle i was just like she knows she's gonna lose so i'm just gonna sit this one out and then we all went out to pizza afterwards and this is little mom and pop italian pizza like in the mission somewhere close by to where we were staying and i went to the bathroom i was like oh i have to go use the restroom i'll be right back and i went to the bathroom i start unzipping my bodysuit and the zipper gets stuck halfway down right and i was just like no no (laughs) not today not today and then i was like oh wait snap crotch right and then i start just clawing at my crotch this thing is not coming open a testament to my seamstress skills but like I was like okay back to the zipper by that point it had started happening I was peeing myself and I was tucked though so instead of being like wet like all in the front I just like essentially like pissed my oh, butt in the back of my it legs my top. it was all stuck in the place and so I finally like get the zipper down and I get two drops in the toilet I'm just like okay success right and then I'm like what am I gonna do so I take off my pads and I take off my tights in that bathroom and I dumped them into the trash can, this little trash can that they had there. And I put like a couple paper towels on top of it. And I put no on one that. will ever know. And then I went back to the table and I was just like, um, we have to leave like right now. And they're like, wait, what's going on? I was like, the next person who walks into that bathroom is going to know that a drag queen just pissed themselves. And they were just like, okay. And I was like, let's call an Uber. And I was like, wait, let me get one more slice of pizza. So I get one more slice of pizza. And I asked the Uber, I was like, do you mind? I'm like so hot. Can we roll down all the windows? And this is like a chilly, like 51 degrees in San Francisco so everybody's freezing and I'm just holding the pizza and I'm just like "Mm, doesn't that smell so good because I was paranoid that he could smell but like I hit myself and he's just like looking at me really weird and he's like "Uh, yeah like aren't you gonna eat it and I was like maybe later yeah (laughs) like that's kind of real you come into my uber with a slice of pizza and you're just like doesn't this smell good okay yeah yeah that was definitely hindsight asshole move for sure (laughs) 
<laughs> and then uh, we get back to the hotel room and I passed out. And then Matt Cosmetics bangs on our door like that morning, like 6 a.m. to like paint us. And then we went and performed for Pride and we killed it. And it was absolutely amazing. I love when like you don't want to, like someone to notice a bad smell. So you're like, smell this other thing. And it's like you could have just said smell nothing. <laughs> smell nothing. Yeah. Because yeah. you weren't going to be like sniffing around anyway. It's not yeah. like, yeah. Who knows? You know, and everything smells like weed out there anyway. So it's just you like. I could have just done that. I could have just done that. Right. <laughs> Hindsight yeah. is 2020. Hindsight is definitely 2020. <laughs> San Francisco Pride was the first Pride I went to, and it is by far still like the biggest, most amazing, most diverse Pride that, that I've seen. I think New Orleans every year, I think our Pride grows and grows and grows. But that one, the parade is huge. It's so many different representations of different queer folks. Like, I love it so much. I haven't been in like 10 years. Please tell me it's still amazing. <laughs> it, it, it definitely was amazing. And you're going for, back. Yeah. So we're going to be doing a show at the Battery. I'm flying into San Francisco for literally like eight hours. We leave the 28th at like 6 a.m. Land in San Francisco. We get ready for the show. We do the show like that night and we meet and catch a red eye from Oakland back to New Orleans. It's going to be like a turn and burn kind of a production, but it's going to be really exciting. And I get to go with Mamie Dame, who is so amazing. She's a phenomenal burlesque dancer here in New Orleans and I'm one of my favorite people. And I'm so happy for any moment I get to spend with her. So. Yeah, that's exciting. So you did the New Orleans Drag Workshop? I did. Which I, cycle were you? I, I was a psycho four. Okay. <laughs> um, so that was like with Slenderella, Tara Cards, Jassy, oh. Expecta Patron, who was Cadavra in the drag workshop. AJ Strong, Bella's AJ oh, yeah. was a drag of that one. Evan Spiegelman, who Azometric, yeah. did Carry Me Home then. So we had a, a really, I feel like, amazing group. I don't think our graduation was the best graduation compared to other graduations that I've seen. But I think the careers that have come out of our particular cycle have been some of the most amazing that the drag workshop has ever produced yeah so the drag workshop was it eight weeks ten weeks ours we i think we were originally like a six week and we bumped it up to an eight week back then it was a little bit different i mean vince is really you know each year he tries to bring the best type of instruction and just information and the best type of visitors to come and teach you what it takes what it is about makeup you know how to have stage presence and everything like that and for us i think there are a couple of people in the class, myself included, we were all just kind of like running behind. So at that time I was performing already as a boylesque dancer, which I still do, you know, under Danger Rockwell. But, uh, and I almost quit the workshop too. A couple of weeks out to graduation, you know, this, that was my very first time in heels. That was my very first oh, time sure. like in makeup, you know, extreme makeup other than this cute little boy stuff, you know, that I was doing for burlesque shows. So it was a lot of breaking down my own personal ideas about gender and really kind of identifying what I felt, you know, in the spectrum and what it meant about my identity. And then, you know, after that, Vince took me to the Fairgrounds Coffee House, like right across from the Always Lounge. He sat me down. We have a really long talk. And then he was just permission to just show up to the graduation. And then I did. And then ever since then, like, I'm so glad he did that because, you know, drag has been such an amazing part of my life since that moment. And it's, I'll never forget that night. That was a crazy night. That felt so good being on that graduation stage. Yeah, so you do the eight-week class or however mm-hmm. long it is, maybe six weeks for some folks. And then at the end of that, they have a graduation where you do your very first drag performance. Because yep. they've been to a couple of graduations now. And they're intense and they're a lot. So what, what was your number? Like, how did you feel the first time being out, you know, on a stage in that way? It felt, it felt really amazing. You know, I had loved drag since, you know, I was little. I, you know, I was... 
there for the very first season of RuPaul's Drag Race, right? And the I one knew, that nobody can get. The one that nobody can get. The one that get, like doesn't exist but exists. Exists. <laughs> it played on Logo. We had DirecTV. Um, it was my parents, of course, did not want me watching anything like that gay, right? Because I was raised Mormon. So that was like oh, a big no-no in the house. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. <laughs> we will come um, back to that. For sure. And then, um, so I would, after they would go to bed, we had DVR. I would secretly record it from my room and then I would sneak downstairs to like our basement and like a little TV and then I would like watch it on mute with like the subtitles so of course I couldn't hear like any of the music but I was just so encaptured with the queens and that was my first exposure to drag because you know I'm from West Virginia so it wasn't like I would had all these drag bars or there wasn't like pride parades rolling down my block right so that was I was just like holy shit like this is amazing and then coming to New Orleans and seeing all that just locally was phenomenal and I used to go up to Vince and be like, I'm going to be in the drag workshop. And he's like, oh, really? Are you? And I was like, I'm going to be in the drag workshop. That sounds uh, like, so Vince Vinsantos, mm-hmm. uh, who's also done an episode of this podcast. And yeah. Tina Zeitgeist has done an episode of this podcast. Yeah. So, but okay. So West Virginia, mm-hmm. Mormon. Yeah. That's okay. That's where you, you were raised. Big city, small city. It's not even a city. It's not even big enough to be a town. It was technically a hamlet. It's oh. called Laymansville, West Virginia. It's in the Allegheny foothills. Well, in the Allegheny mountains of the Appalachia foothills. No, hamlet were still a thing it is yeah so um <laughs> sounds like 1500s 1600s it, i mean if you go back there some of the people definitely behave that way for sure <laughs> no actually it you know i love my i love my redneck family they are so amazing and so supportive and it's been really kind of surprising so yeah we were mormon we have a hundred acre farm back there that we lease out for cattle grazing and stuff like that but my dad would work in dc right so we would only see him on weekends because the commute was just too much so he would stay with his sister who were, lived mm-hmm. in silver springs maryland and then so we got another little place in Virginia, Berryville, Virginia. We had a Wendy's commercial, but um, no Wendy's, so they had to bring in the Wendy's from like the next town over to launch their berry salad. But yeah, so we, and then we moved there and we kind of split our time back and forth. That way we could see my dad every night. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. You grew up there until you were 18? Yeah. So okay. uh, we would do like weekdays in school there and then we would always do weekends back at the big farmhouse in West Virginia. And then I would always go back on weekends until about 9 or 10. And then once I got old enough I was like, you know what? You can just go. I don't need a babysitter. I'll hang out here. But yeah, I Clark County High School in Clark County, Virginia is where I graduated from. And then I went to James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia all in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, which is like essentially right beside the West Virginia border. And were you guys like really religious growing up? My mom is extremely religious to this day. My brother actually just got back from his mission not too long ago and he's already married and has a beautiful (laughs) little baby boy with his wife. My, all my family, including my brother in prison are pretty devout Mormons except for my dad. Oh. Like, uh, my, and it's funny because my dad was originally Mormon. My mom wasn't. And my mom met my dad she was talking about religion. He was like, oh, I'm just like Mormon, you know. But I think that's only because the missionaries back in the day used to have to hike a gazillion miles to get to his parents' house. And they were like, if you stop coming to my house and we start going to your church, can you just like leave us alone? And they're like, sure, yeah, we'd love to. Yeah. And so they're like, everybody has to have a religion, right? So they're like, we'll be Mormon, I guess. And my mom was just like, oh, you're a Mormon? Then I'm going to be like so Mormon for you. <laughs> I'm going to be the best Mormon ever. And she is really committed to that role. And it definitely has caused a lot of grief in my family particularly with me but um, I recently had to move back home to help take care of the family farm for the past couple years and that was kind of like a blessing in disguise because they finally got to see me in drag they finally got to see the process that went into it they got to hear about the success of my shows and I think it kind of really changed their perspective about what it was and it is I've always told my parents that even though they are Mormon and very conservative I've always been relentless with them when it comes to 
what I do with my art and what I'm doing with my life and stuff like that. And they have always just been 110% supportive. That's so, a, that's awesome. yeah. What's the Mormon belief? And I don't know this. I grew up in a, like uh, a community in Los Angeles that actually had a lot of Mormon people. Right. I just remember like they would pray around the flagpole like before school. Yeah. And I felt super left out. And I was like, I'm not cool, but I also don't want to do this. For sure. So it was this mix of like, well, I don't want to wake up early and pray around a flagpole. And, yeah. and the school actually had some issues because some other parents complained about it. But it was also like they were the cool ones. And I was right. like, well, I want to be cool. And is this what it means to be cool? But what is the Mormon belief on gay people? I actually don't know that. The, is there an official stance or is it just a thing we don't talk about? Or is it just we have to be fruitful and multiply? And if you're gay, obviously that is a barrier to that. Their belief on gay people is that homosexuality itself is not a sin, but acting on it is, which is so fucked up. Okay. Like, so you can identify as gay. They, they don't think gay thoughts, they, they happen. And they have like whole programs where like, if you're having gay thoughts, you can go talk to your bishop and they're going to like be understanding and talk to you about it and stuff like that and try to get you back onto like the straight path. It's nothing as intense as like aversion therapy. Like, I haven't, at least in my church or anything like that, there is like no one that was going to be like trying to hook me up to like an electric shock treatment or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, send you to like a uh, gay camp. Yeah. And then, I mean, and I stopped going to church pretty much right around the time that I knew I was gay when I was 12 when I looked my mom and I said you know I don't want to go to church anymore I just don't agree with it and then she said well you kind of have to go and I was just like if you make me go I'm just gonna keep telling everybody how much I just really want to suck a dick just I just <laughs> suck a dick so wow. bad and she was just like okay you don't have to go to church anymore <laughs> Like, stay home. You know what? Uh, yeah, I was just like, okay, if you're going to tell me that I have to do this thing, I'm just going to come at you with, like, the one thing I know you don't want me to do. And I felt like Mormonism is very much keeping up with the Joneses. Of course, he got started by Joseph Smith, and he found these plates that were essentially, he said, the chronicles of Christ's work in the Americas versus, like, everything that happened over in Africa and the Middle East, right? Which is typically what the Bible documents, right? Yeah. It's equally as racist, patriarchal, and just terrible of a doctrine as any other religious text that I've like stumbled across. Yeah. And then, so he was actually arrested. Uh, he was running for president when he was assassinated Joseph Smith. Oh, I didn't know he was running for president. He was running for president in the United States. I mean, the Mormonism following was getting like really up there, but he had 20 wives and he's pretty much like, uh, murdered essentially for being a pedophilic rapist. So, because like his youngest wife was like pretty much like given to him by her father. At, yeah. She was only like 14 years old. So then like the church kind of like went on. They believe that, you know, how we have prophets in the Bible and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, like um, Matthew and Paul, stuff like that. And prophets are the ones who you can like directly communicate to God. So the Mormon church believes that there are still prophets. So if the church is led by a prophet and Brigham Young, like Brigham Young University was a prophet. He's the one who kind of like led the mass exodus when Mormons were being chased out of the East Coast out into Utah. Mm -hmm. And they tried to make it like, he just knew that we had to be here. And I was just like, bitch, I bet he was just tired and thirsty. <laughs> he was just yeah. like, we've been wandering through the desert. I'm getting old. I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, everybody, let's just set up camp here. Because yeah, like, no one wants Utah. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it from you. Our beer water down but you know i think it's interesting that the the golden plates right like they're mm -hmm. where are they no one ever saw no? them no one ever knew and he would have these magical crystals him. the urim <laughs> and thurum that he would like put in his hat and read like the plates in the dark like from his eyes and only he could read them oh i didn't know that so he had yeah. crystals so, yeah so if you watch the south park episode on mormonism matt stone was raised a mormon so actually all the information in that episode is extremely accurate about the birth of mormonism people think it's a comedy but, but that pretty much wrote itself yeah because yeah, i saw the scientologist one 
at the bottom it's like this is what they actually believe and yeah. it was the alien shit and it was yeah, like Lord Zeno. yeah and then I had to look it up because I was like this is ridiculous and it was actually what they believe and so South Park that's why they don't get sued for this shit yeah it's like no this is just what they believe we just put it in a cartoon and had Cartman yeah. yell things and Kenny dies a few times and absolutely and I mean I was, I was part of a Mormon Boy Scout troop we used to do soccer and I used to have like a soccer team but then like, I couldn't do anything on Sundays and so I stopped doing soccer when I got invited to do travel league but all the games were on Sundays my mom was like well I can't take you to that and our Boy Scout troop we would always get invited to the Jubilee because we always place really high in the scorings every year but the Jubilee was always on a Sunday so like we uh-huh. would never be able to go and actually like, compete like against all the other like national like high-ranking Boy Scout troops I played soccer with Mormon girls and we couldn't do the weekend tournaments mm-hmm. we had to do tournaments where we could do like a Friday Saturday yep. but if it was like a weekend long because there was traveling soccer teams and we like couldn't do it and I never understood why I was like what do you do on Sundays and like you just read the Bible and go to church and I was like and then what do you do after that you know that's what you do on Sundays mm-hmm. it's and a day of rest like, yeah as the Lord intended <laughs> I was like I don't understand this they're like no TV they're like yeah. no no TV they're like I'm like can you talk on the phone no can you leave no you can't do anything yeah luckily my parents weren't like super strict about that my mom would prefer like no TV but we would still play video games and like watch TV and stuff like that. But she would try to make it more like family time. It's like, okay, let's play board games like after church. And we would always have a Sunday family dinner with people coming over and stuff like that. So and that's it, nice. it was nice. Yeah, it was like, very good. nice. Yeah. And I think like, you know, growing up in that lifestyle just kind of made me more resolute and firm and like my identity and who I was because when I was growing up, I mean, I've learned a lot. And then so my parents, you know, it's like nobody's perfect. And they really have done a really good job. Like they're asking me about people's pronouns now, you know, how they should address this type of situation. I'm essentially their own personal gay Google. I think my mom's terrified of the internet. And I'm like, you can Google this. She's like, yeah, but won't it like know that I'm looking up like gay things? And I'm just like. <laughs> it's going to send like, you all the porn, Yeah, mom. it's just going to dicks right in your face. Like That's good, though. That's good that they're like willing to ask. Because I feel like a lot of parents are like, I just don't want to know. Mm-hmm. But so you were 12 and you're telling your mom, I don't want to go to church because this is who I am. Were you out to anybody else or was that the first time you were like out to anybody or I mean everybody else kind of like knew you know (laughs) my birthday parties and stuff like that of course I was like that friend that like people would like experiment with you know when like boys are growing up together and stuff like that it's like I'll show you mine if you show me yours it's like yeah damn like uh, here it is now (laughs) time you know you have to keep up your end of the bargain and then in school I think I was officially came out I think like my my junior year I felt like you know I it was time it wasn't like I never denied anything actually that's a lie I definitely did deny it for a long time because I was scared you know I mean it's a scary thing especially if you're in a I don't know if it's like the whole area was conservative or just like your church was um, conservative or the whole area is very conservative but at a certain point I just found a really great group of friends who are also just queer as fuck Mm -hmm. and I just stopped caring and it was what people thought about me and that was really amazing and so yeah but and it didn't slow me down I, mean, I was prom king of my senior class yeah or prom queen as I like to say <laughs> my school we had 147 kids in our graduating class right and we all oh, pretty much small. went to class from kindergarten all the way up to graduation together so we all grew up together right so there was a whole bunch of people I didn't enjoy but there were also a whole bunch of people in that class that I love to this day and I always like you know hit up and message and we're all scattered across the country and you know it's kind of like our own little personal like Clark County family that I'm yeah. very like happy to be a part of. So you graduated high school, you went to James Madison University. Mm-hmm. Is it big, small, liberal? It, it, it's it's liberal. It's a state school. It's a public school, like a public university. And it was really great. You know, they have a really amazing nursing program. They have really 
awesome business program, good food, which is like a big <laughs> sell for me. I'm like, they have some of the best food in the state. And it was like far enough away from home. Like, I felt like I was getting like space for my parents, but it was also like close enough that I think my parents were like, okay, we support this, you know? How far away was it? It was about like an hour and an hour and 15 minutes okay. away. See, I went five hours away because I was like, that's far enough that like I was still in the same state, but it's far enough that if they were coming to see me, they would have to alert me. Yeah. Because <laughs> they weren't going to make that drive and be like, surprise. I just never let my parents knew where I was. Like that was, <laughs> they could try to come visit me, but they wouldn't be able Good to luck. find me. Yeah, find like a treasure map. And yeah, like, solve this riddle. Your scavenger hunt starts right now. <laughs> yeah, no, JMU was. I mean, it was some. That was the first time I really kind of got to be on my own, and so that, and of course, with that was like my room springer. Right, it was like growing up Mormon. Oh, yeah. I was just like, all the drugs and all the drinks are here <laughs> just for me. And party, she did, girl. Like oh, yeah. that was party a little too much. So. Uh, I was originally like a psych pre-med. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And then I was uh, friends who were in my dorm who were art majors. I was, because I'd always done art and art was always my favorite thing. But my dad sat me down for going to college. He's like, you know, practicality, money, business. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I like psychiatry and I like psychology and I I can probably make a lot of money doing this. I was still finishing like part of like their sketchbook assignments because they have to have like so many pages turned in. And they're like, oh God, like, do you want to do one? And I was like, sure. (laughs) And I was getting like lots of wonderful comments of like, uh, uh, like their professors be like, oh, I love this style so new for you you know other <laughs> sketchbooks so I was just like oh my gosh yeah. so it was kind of like artistic validation yeah that um so I was like talk to my parents and I talked to my dad and so my dad's like my biggest inspiration in life right and he I tell him everything and I on any big life decisions I always kind of like vet by him and I told him I was like I want to stop my pre-med studies and I want to go to art school and he was like okay well if I'm going to pay for art school then you better be really good by the time you graduate. And that's all he said. And I was just like, fair. thanks, Daddy. Yeah, like uh, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, and I did. And I had some really amazing exhibits. So I was a photography major. And that led me to kind of like video, which kind of led me to performance. So we were doing like little pop-up performances that we were documenting on video and putting them to music and taking music that already existed and trying to come up with like custom music videos for them that were more kind of like high art installation pieces. And it was like a really fun time. Just like to take some time out to thank our sponsor, Studio. Studio wants to revolutionize the way people see headphones as not just a tech device, but also an accessory. Currently, the headphones market can offer you one of two things style or tech. Fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality, and high tech variations are bulky and not design oriented. They wanted to bridge the gap. While emphasizing their modern Scandinavian design, they also provide a product that matches the quality of even the highest rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. They provide free worldwide shipping, and with us, with Near and Queer to My Heart, you can get a discount 15% off any purchase near and queer is your discount code all one word check them out sudio.com and then yeah and then I graduated and I was just like okay now I actually have to start making money right yeah. so like what that's your end of the bargain yeah it's my end of the bargain <laughs> so I decided to get into arts management like right so I'd already been working as artist I've done gallery shows so I found a little job at this uh performance arts center and my hometown I essentially was like an assistant director of and we were doing maybe like 12 to 16 shows a month and it was like me and just one other person who were like full-time staff members who was the director and we um it was a new nonprofit. we had a lot of new nonprofit problems but we got to see bring some really amazing bands there and I was curating exhibits for the galleries and stuff like that and then I left that to go work for another production company that was like in the next town over where I got to kind of like pick and choose what events I wanted to work on and I was teaching at a fine arts school that was more catered toward later learning and like in life for like adults or like kids who want supplemental classes in addition to art classes they're getting in high school 
And then Dirty Bourbon River Show, which is a band from New Orleans, or was a band from New Orleans, who we've been bringing out to the area, we're looking for a tour manager. So I auditioned for that, and then I got the job, and I moved down to New Orleans, and then spent seven months on the road. As How do you audition manager. for a tour manager? Um, you essentially... You just uh, yell at people, you're like, I wanted Skittles, not I, uh, M&Ms, and they're like, you got the job. I, I can't work under these conditions. <laughs> just throw no, a clipboard. Just throw a clipboard, staples, make a really big scene. Um, no, so I did a ride-along, and essentially you advance the show right and you take care of hospitality and you're the liaison between the band and I was selling merch and stuff like that giving like insight and essentially you're the band mom and it's like okay boys time to get up and like let's go um, and I did a good job and then uh, so I spent seven months on the road with them we did like 89 shows in 27 states in that time and it was a lot and by the end of it we had done a show with Trixie Minks and Trixie wanted to work with me and at that time I was very much like oh no I'm so part of the band she's a burlesque dancer yeah Trixie Minks is my mama so Trixie (laughs) Minks is uh, you know the queen of the New Orleans burlesque scene and she's been doing it um, in New Orleans just longer than pretty much everybody else you know Bella Blue got her start in Florida Tees with Trixie yeah I remember I used to go to Florida Tees when I first moved here and it was it was $20 for a show which Mm -hmm. for me I was like this is a lot to spend but I would go every month with a group of friends because it was such an amazing show and they had it was like Gogo McGregor and Bella and Trixie and like all these amazing like um Oh, what's the one with the bangs? <laughs> oh, like Roxy, 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 yeah, Roxy, and yeah, Madame Astaire. Like, yeah, yeah, it was just it was such an amazing show. New Orleans has such a good burlesque scene and such a good drag scene, and so unique. Because I yeah. used to be like, oh, burlesque is just the same thing. It's like it's not the same thing if you have different creative people bringing their own, you know, personalities to it. And that's what I think Florida Tees was doing. Yeah, I mean, Florida Tees got birth after Trixie left Bust Out because she was a part of the original Bust Out cast with Pearl Noir. Oh, um, the House of Blues. Yeah, with Rachel Lott, the one way back got... in the day, the way. Yeah, yeah, that still has so, problems. Still has problems. <laughs> you know, that show's been around for a long, long time. And, of course, Pearl Noir was, like, the big star of that show before she moved up to New York. And she's an amazing performer. But Trixie, of course, was just like, you know what? This really isn't gelling with me. And then I'm just going to go and do my own show. I didn't and know then, Bust Out was around that long. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bust Out was pretty much like the... Um, one of the very first burlesque shows in New Orleans as part of the burlesque revival, you know, that happened in this past couple decades. So yeah, Trixie was a part of that cast. And then of course she wasn't really feeling it for reasons that yeah. I think we all know at this point. <laughs> we're not going to get sued for, so we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. And then, um, so, you know, she we have no money. So we, we have, I definitely don't. all you want. Yeah. <laughs> Best of luck. Take a number. We'll be with you. My yeah. people will call your people. No, they won't. No. Like, no, my, pe- my people will duck your service so hard. Yeah, they're going to change my number like five times. Yeah, and then so I was then at so that she time. She was working with the band? Yeah, we did a residency at DBA. And the first okay. week that we did that, we went in burlesque show, right? And so we brought Trixie and Madame Stare in. And that night, Trixie offered me a job. She was just like, hey, I really like what you do. Like, do you want to come work for me? And I was just, and I had at this point no idea, even, I know she was a burlesque dancer, I just didn't perform, but I didn't realize how big Trixie was in New Orleans. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this pretty lady wants me to work with her. Like, well, thank you very much. I'm still very much a part of the band. And then um, after the show and after recording process and then getting ready to go back on tour, I was just done. So I messaged her. I was like, hey girl, you want to get lunch? She's like, yeah. And then I was like, is that job still available? And then she said, absolutely. So then I was Trixie production assistant for a couple years and that was crazy so amazing so wonderful that woman works she's another humongous inspiration in my life hence 
why she is my mama. Just the grace and poise that she has, not just on stage, but in every single situation she's been in. She has been doing this by herself, this production company, and we did lots of productions. When I came on, we had a show on Bourbon Street that was five times a week, three times a night, Voodoo wow. Burlesque. We had the two live band shows on Fridays, Burgundy Burlesque and Burlesque Ballroom. And then she was also starring in the Burlesque show with Brigada. So she would leave New Orleans on a Wednesday, get back that Friday for the two Friday shows. Well, the shows were constantly running, even if she wasn't in town. And not to mention Florida Tees, which was monthly, and then other like little pop-up shows and then tons of private events. And she was doing it all by herself, which means that she would wake up super early in the morning still does wake up super early in the morning email 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 before she goes out and does performances you know throughout the day and at night and then she is an inspiration for how hard I like to work with my drag and my burlesque and her humor her wit and just the poison grace and situations that even made me upset I mean a lot of times people, when they book burlesque, especially for private events, you get some like very corporate big wigs who are just complete assholes. And the way that Trixie handles them and makes them laughing and on her side, but still getting exactly what she wants from them is uh, one of the best skills I think I could have ever learned in my life. Well, that's a delicate balance because you want to be professional on stage and off stage when someone is being like, well, I'm paying for you. And I'm sure especially with burlesque, there is this component of, you know, you are uh, taking off your clothes and like being very vulnerable with people that especially some, uh, you know, corporate folks would just be like, well, I'm paying for this so I can do what I want. And it's like, no, you can't. Yeah. There is a line. And Absolutely. I will, but I, will, I also can't like say fuck you. Yeah. Trixie taught me how to because when I was touring with a band you know it's just me and five other guys so if I was upset about something I'd be like I'm fucking upset and here's why like it was very uh, direct open honest communication that there was like no emotion involved but that's very unrealistic right people have emotions and I think that was just convenient for us being trapped in a van for like god awful like forever (laughs) like as we're going around the country that's like if you have something to say might as well say it now so Trixie kind of had to reteach me how to be more of a polite person Mm -hmm. I would say because if I had a problem with something I was like oh no we can't do this and here's exactly why and if you have a problem with that then sorry you gotta be like I hear what you're saying (laughs) yeah and be like oh my gosh that set was so wonderful but if you know this is a stage show so if next time we could just stand on stage that would be great (laughs) but hey how's your cat doing Nice balance. <laughs> yeah, just, just a nice balance. You're on tour with a band and Trixie sees you, like she sees the band and she sees like how well you're doing as the manager and that's what mm-hmm. grabbed her and then she got you as her production assistant. So you were making sure all of these shows were happening. Yeah, I was doing, um, picking up the money and doing money drops. I was dropping off set lists and checks for people. I was doing like, little handwritten pieces of arts for all of our point people that would be helping run the show like that night, which are other dancers who'd be in charge of like dispersing the checks, load in costuming working with clients like liaison signing clients and helping price stuff for the actual like you know private events and productions and being at all the rehearsals to give feedback this is something we can do since like i want to have like uh this never happened but just like you know an example of this is like well i want to bring in like a a whole farm to just you know the show we're gonna have some pigs we're gonna have some cows and i'd be like the person like okay you know i don't think we can have actual pigs and cows but you know let's see what we can make happen you know it's this nice cardboard Uh, cutout (laughs) yeah and then it was also you know i was stage kittening you know and picking up stuff and i was there to you know make sure that you know trixie was always capable of handling herself in every situation but i think you know i was i was a nice barrier between like everybody else in the dressing room yeah that's the way i was it's like oh excuse me who are you and like why are you trying to come back here <laughs> like yeah exactly kind of security a little bit yeah so it was really jack <laughs> of all trades and it was it was a blur and it went by so fast 
like two years and it was just amazing. And then she, my very first burlesque performance I did, I did for Trixie's birthday at Burlesque Ballroom. It wasn't actually on the stage. She had her, her birthday show at Burlesque Ballroom. She always invites people to come just do one number and they pop a balloon. And then back in the stage, in the dressing room, I decided to do a burlesque number for her in front of all the other burlesque dancers. And oh my gosh, it was an awful mess. Like, <laughs> um, what, what made you decide in that moment this was what you were going to do? And uh, what did you, what was your costume? What was your song? I did a song that she had done for a number. It was Feeling Good by Nina Simone, but like the Bass Nectar remix. And then I had done a fan dance because I was doing a fan dance because that was Trixie's staple is a fan dance, right? And I had a tuxedo on and then I had on a whole bunch of like kink fetish stuff underneath the tuxedo and I was stage kitting the show in this whole costume, right? And people were like, you're really sweaty. Like, why are you sweating so much? It's like, it's just hot outside. Like, work really hard. I work really hard, okay? I'm running around picking up your panties. What, What else do you expect from me? And then I realized my mistake when I looked around and I saw some of the best burlesque dancers in New Orleans just like okay now we're gonna watch you and it was stupid and fun and Trixie hoot and hollered as I tripped over my pants and <laughs> like did a sloppy fan dance but that was when Danger Rockwell was born and then because uh, I started you know, doing burlesque after that and then you know I left Trixie because I was performing more and I felt like that was something I wanted to do and she was in full support of it and of course with how busy she is and her schedule and stuff like that you know it wouldn't have been fair for me to be like okay I'm here for you girl while I'm also like over here being a lot about myself right now you know yeah. so you know it's had a very open and honest discussion with her and she has been my biggest supporter no matter what I do That's and great. I treasure our relationship mm-hmm. so much so how'd you come up with that name and then also candy snatch is your drag queen name yeah how did I love candy snatch oh, thank you I love candy snatched all put together I love every part of it <laughs> thank you um, but how did you come up with your names so what's that process like so danger rockwell I felt like I kind of look like I come out of a when I'm a presenting in my male persona that I kind of look like a Norman Rockwell like you know like blonde you know very much happy smiley like rosy cheeks but I also really love doing kinky raunchy nasty neo burlesque you know and so that was like the dangerous aspect of it hence danger Rockwell was born candy snatch so when I was doing the drag workshop I had pitched two names and I picked the name that Vincentos didn't want me to pick. Um, I pitched Mickey Donald's, which is still up for grabs for anybody who wants it, and Candy Snatch. And he was really hoping I would go for Mickey Donald's. But if I did Mickey Donald's, I would. I felt like I was going to be just a pure camp queen. I was going to be kind of like shoeboxing myself in a little bit. So um, being Candy Snatch, I felt like I could be sexy. I could be campy. I could be fun. I could still be kind of like dark and if I wanted to, or like dangerous if I needed to be. Um, so I felt like it gave me more versatility and then it just felt more right to me. Yeah, no, I love it because you did our, uh, Queer Mountain Storytelling Show. Which was so um, much fun. Thank which, you so oh, much. I loved your story. Your story was this like Coke-fueled, like, I don't New even know how to describe it other yeah. than just like Coke-fueled extravaganza might be, but it was just this story where you're like, Everything was like, are the stakes going to get higher? Yes. Are the stakes going to get higher? Like, what can possibly happen next? And you're like, oh, shit. Like, it was such a, a good, fantastic story. Was that your first time doing any type of performance like that? Like a storytelling or speaking on stage? No, I mean, I would always kind of like, I mean, Chris Lane's comic strip, sometimes I used to hop up and like, you know, fill time, you know, if they were having like a slow night. Um, uh, fantasy, mostly, like uh, he used to have his open mic nights out, like read poetry at, and I used to do like the neutral grounds, like uh, oh, yeah. open mic nights for poetry, and like coffee houses in high school. As the first time as a drag persona, absolutely. That was fun coming out and presenting as Candy Snatch and telling this story which is still one of my favorite. That was my favorite New York minute, that story that I told. So if you weren't there, you missed it. Go to all of those shows so you can really hear some really amazing stuff. I love being on the microphone. I love emceeing. I love comedy. 
Um, and I love performance too. I love all of it. Anything that's going to give me attention, like I just want to <laughs> be a part of it. So it felt like it could have been your first time or it could have been like your hundredth time. Like you're just so comfortable on stage. And I've seen you perform drag and I've seen you, you're just so comfortable with every part of who you are. And I love that. Thank you. Confidence is, was a really big thing in my life I used to not have it at all there is in college you know I was very body conscious I felt like I didn't have the ideal queer body you know thanks porn there's a lot of unlearning of terrible ways that I was treating myself that I had to do and burlesque was a really big part of that once you're like naked on stage in front of people it's kind of hard you can definitely be in the situation and not be confident but you know it's a lot more fun if you're just like fuck it you know I love my body it's the only one that I got and these people are here hooting, hollering for me and everything that I just did on that stage. And that was a big boost right there. And it kind of helped change my whole perspective on how I felt being me. And then my stage presence, my confidence level overall, just kind of like, I feel like went up. And the more confident you are on stage, I feel like the better you're going to perform no matter what you're doing. Yeah, I remember when I was like 12 years old, I remember one day I just like looked in the mirror and I was like, this is it. Like, you're going to grow up a little bit. Like, maybe you're going to change a little bit. But like, this is you. You're going to have brown hair. You're probably going to be 5'2". Like, you're going to have a rounder face. And, you know, like, I was like, this is you. Like, yeah, you can maybe get some plastic surgery. But just accept that, like, when you look in the mirror, this is most likely what you're going to see. And from that, I was just like, okay. And then I didn't really worry about it. I don't know why I decided to do that at 12, but I was glad I did because it made oh, yeah. everything a lot easier. I mean, I wish I did that at 12 <laughs> for sure. Oh my God. That would have been great. I was like, yeah, you could put some makeup on or, you know, I could cut my hair or whatever, but yeah. it's like, this is you just okay you're gonna look in the mirror and this is you because i remember especially growing up being a girl in like los angeles it was like all my friends i had friends that were the most beautiful like the people all would stop them on the street and oh you should model and they would be like oh but but my nose is too thin or like my lips are too this like no one was ever ha- and i just remember everyone would just look at every part of them that they could find wrong instead of like yeah. finding the things that were right you know it's yeah. like my friend that's tall everyone you could be a model you're so tall i'm too tall i hate it I, you know yeah is everything the girls that are short oh you're so cute you're short and i wish i was tall like it was just no one was ever happy and I was just like what the fuck like we're not gonna spend our lives picking ourselves apart no we definitely shouldn't I mean there's so many different types of flavor of people out in this world today and it's amazing and I love the day and age you know it's I know we have a really awful president right now and there are a lot of scary things happening but I'm still a big believer that like I would rather be living today here and now than like any other time oh, it's yeah. just like i still get to be openly me i am loving how reaffirming and just positive you know this queer community we have here in new orleans is like i feel you know everybody deserves to feel sexy and everybody deserves to be loved and everybody deserves to give those same emotions to themselves you know it's like you know, instead of seeking validation necessarily from other people and that's what i had to learn when i was in college i was just like hopping up on any dick that winked at me twice i was just like this is what love is and it was just like no girl no it's not love you have to give yourself first and then um and it was a process learning to love myself and i had some really great mentors and people that i could find along the way Is there any particular like moment that you're like oh i i see like i get this like or like this is was there any aha moment for you or was it just like progression over time i think it was progression over time and then honestly the biggest moment of like learning to love myself was leaving like an abusive ex that i had you know dated on and off again for like a few years and finally drawing the line in his hands like you know what i'm done i, I deserve better that was such a 
peak integral moment for me. He also happened to be my drug dealer. So that was, you know, one of those things that's like, uh, and then that's another thing is it's like, I felt like I am in a really good place now where, you know, I'm not using hard drugs and, you know, I really just have completely turned my life around when I felt I was kind of like going down this, you know, kind of very dark circle and spiral. And my moving back home to help take care of the family farm really kind of put a lot of things into perspective for me because I left New Orleans kind of like in a tizzy. I was just like upset. I was angry. I was drunk all the time. I was not doing well and I went to Savannah and then there I was just like pacing around at 4 a.m. in the morning smoking cigarettes pissed at the world that there wasn't something to do at like 3 a.m. <laughs> um, but luckily I met some really amazing people there. That was um, the House of Gunt which is an amazing drag troupe an avant-garde drag troupe that I'm so happy to be considered even like a cousin of or something like that. You know, they are just so family and they are so loving and I it was kind of, I feel like a lot of the problems I was having in New Orleans, I kind of made myself. You know, it wasn't necessarily the way things were. It was just the way that I was seeing them for my own insecurities. And then leaving and then seeing so much queer love that wasn't in New Orleans, but amongst a small troop that was doing so, so much in their community and just activism and just, you know, being that person that wasn't afraid to speak their mind when it needed to be spoken in a very conservative community of Savannah, Georgia, right? was amazing. And then I texted my family on Christmas Eve. I was like, hey you know, Merry Christmas, you know, and stuff like that. And I didn't get a text back. And I was like, oh, typical Mormons. <laughs> and my mom called me the day after Christmas, essentially. And she was like, hey, I'm so sorry, but your dad's in the hospital. Like, he almost just died. He's in the ICU. And then she just kind of, like, broke down. And so my dad had a knee replacement. And then he ended up getting a phantom infection. to where, like, it wasn't swelling. It was actually, like, inside oh, where wow. the knee replacement was. Um, and he started seizing out. And luckily, the seizures woke up my mom. Um, if they had not then he would have been dead. So they took him to the hospital and they're like, we're going to amputate his leg. And they opened him up for amputation. And luckily the doctor was like, actually, I think I can save it. So they took the knee replacement out and they put in this antibiotic prosthesis that was essentially pumping him full of like the most top grade, like antibiotics in the world that best money could buy. And then we had to have him on a severe probiotic regimen because it was also killing all this good bacteria, right? So he yeah. was also at risk of going into C. diff at any moment if we miss that probiotic regimen. And we have the two farms, you know? My mom can't do all that by herself. My dad could barely, you know, help keep up because he also works full-time in addition to having the farms. So, you know, it was one of those things. It's like, okay, you know what? I, I think I should move back home and help out with this. And then, um, you know, my sister and my brother helped out, you know, as best as they could. My sister has four kids. My brother just started his first year of college, you know, and he already has a kid. And the older brother is still in prison. So it's just like, you know, the stripping drag queen black sheep of the family comes and helps save the Mormons. It's like, it's how I kind of like view it in my head. Um, but you know, it was, it was really great to be able, not great that my dad almost died. He's fine now, everybody, please don't worry. But like, um, it was really great. The way you were telling the story, I was like, I think this has a happy ending. This this does have a happy ending. Um, my dad is great and I got to really reconnect with my parents and you know, it was one of those things is like, I felt like I was kind of, Everybody was going to forget about me. I was moving back home. I felt like in New Orleans, you have to always be present to be in the scene, right? Like there is, if you step out, there's a pressure. If you step out for too long, then like nobody ain't going to want you anymore. And that's just a blatant lie. Like, you know what? If you are doing good work and you are a nice and kind and easy person to work with, people are always going to want to work with you no matter what. Since you've been back, I've seen your name on so many different shows and I've seen you at shows. So I'm like, I know for a fact that that wasn't a problem for you. I am just honored and humbled by the opportunities that people just keep on giving me. Like, 
it has been fun. I got to do my homecoming show, which was really, really fun. I got to do Jockstrap. I came back in to do the Jazz Fest gig specifically for Boyfriend, um, which was really, really cool. And to be, you know, on the Jazz Fest stage and having being in drag on that platform was fantastic yeah that had to be amazing because that's people from all walks of life that come to new orleans for jazz fest and they you know don't know half of the things that they're watching so it's great to it's families and older folks and you know people our ages you know it's great yeah and it was kind of stressful because i had just gotten in the to new orleans like the day before that first rehearsal week of of like the show and then I was talking to my boyfriend. She's like, oh, did you see my note where you have like a small solo like in the middle? And I was like, no, I did not. I was just <laughs> did like, not get that memo. And she was just like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure you're going to be the very first drag queen on stage ever at Jazz Fest. So I wanted to be really good. And I was just like, okay, I'll come back to you with some notes tomorrow. <laughs> like, um, like, there's no pressure at all there, in this There's situation. no pressure at all in this situation. <laughs> no, and Grandma Fun was my box buddy. And Grandma Fun is another amazing New Orleans burlesque dancer. And we had, the way the set was, is like two dancers were kind of like each in their own little box. And there were three boxes on stage. And me and Grandma Fun were just like running choreography. Like she would come over to my house. Like she, that morning she came super early to my house. So we can still just run, 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 run. And then day of me just like, uh, we were forever bonded by that moment of being trapped in that box in that weather. Um, yeah, I was like, it was hot. It was, it was hot. Outside. It, it, it was raining when we got there. And then the sun came up right before we were getting ready to go on, which just made it super muggy like it went from like warm 70 degrees and just pouring down rain into like a really balmy 85 degrees and just like humid as all hell just and, feel and, the air stand still pretty yeah much. absolutely i felt like that was really cool to be able to come back and that was my first show like as part of my official move back to new orleans was jazz fest which is very weird because the very first gig i did for the band when i first moved down to new orleans was also jazz fest oh, as, as a tour manager <laughs> so this time i was on stage versus yeah and i've been noticing that a lot in my life is like a lot of things are so cyclical you know i kind of find myself almost like in these deja vu moments it's like i'm kind of standing in the exact same spot i was five years ago but it's so much better now it's just been i'm just so thankful for the opportunities of anybody who would ever want to book me like thank you <laughs> like and what do you want for your food? like if you had money aside like someone just was mm-hmm. like here's a place to stay here's all the food i'll pay all your utility bills here's a car here's gas money like you have everything you want what do you want creatively creatively my ideal okay i'm just gonna lay out my my dream situation here yeah a vision board right my here vision but board uh, right audio here. because it's a podcast exactly so my ideal living situation would be a gigantic not even a gigantic but just like uh, art studio essentially like i want to have my industrial sewing machine with my serger my little like you know kind of like simple serger like a simple stitch like singers and stuff like that with some like nice you know body forms for me to do my costume design i want to have like my photo backdrops with the camera set up for like video and production work i want to have like my metals like my soldering stuff and my like welding stuff that way i can do like some quick metal and wire work fabrication if They're i ever so needed to <laughs> like a little work sh- wood shop like woodworking shop so i can just- i love making stuff and that's what I think I love drag so much is because I really get to use all the things that in art school that I was doing in one aspect. You know, I get to sew my own costumes. I get to build my own props. I get to style my own hair, do my own makeup, run my own choreography, come out and then do a number. The only thing I didn't do is write the fucking song, like, you know, and it's just, or sing <laughs> that it. Could be you next. Know? <laughs> but then I get to, oh, that could be next too. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's so much I, I just love. And I always have to, I have a book of just like ideas of things, like little projects that I always want to work on. And it's gotten way too long for me to ever even like accomplish 
shit in the foreseeable future, but I still hold on to it. And then I'll sometimes pick things out of it. It's like, I'm going to work on this today. But actually, I've been thinking for my my realistic future is because of my psychology under curriculum that I did in school that I might want to do grad school for art therapy because I felt like art is the one thing that really changed my life in my moments of depression, in my moments of insecurity, in my moments of rage, in my moments of just dealing with a whole bunch of mental issues and mental diseases. Art has definitely had the biggest calming, consistent, amazing therapeutic aspect in my life. And I would love to facilitate that for those who need it and want that. Well, that sounds great. Thank you. You have such a good head on your shoulders. Half of the time through this interview, I was about to ask you a question and then you're like, well, let me tell you this. And I was like, that was my question. <laughs> oh, I think we have like this like synergistic kind of like wavelength going on right now. Like it feels really good. I'll take yeah. credit. You should. That, yeah. You I was should. like that. I'm sending it to you and you're just picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. This was oh the time flew by. Like I have so many more questions for you and we might have to do a part two at some point. I would love to do a part two. Um, but I really. Absolutely. Yeah. I really enjoyed this and good luck with everything and I'll be seeing you soon. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, Thank you, you so, so much. For ha- yeah. Like, so I'm in uh bourbon boylesque on this Tuesday for Frankie's um, birthday show and he specifically requested dirty and raunchy. So I'm going to bring oh, some dirty and raunchy no to the Oz <laughs> and then I'll be out in LA uh, and just sorry, out in San Francisco um, for like eight hours this Friday, and then I get back, and then I'm in America. Fuck yeah! Um, DDO Nass's oh, big Fourth July Fourth show, yeah. July Fourth that night, and then um, I have to look at my calendar because there are a couple other things. I my July, my August slow down a little bit, like everybody else in New yeah, Orleans. Yeah, it's so fucking hot. Because it's We're so like, fucking God hot. Damn it. And then my decadence is already kind of like um, booking up, so I'm gonna try to take. I still have to unpack my room for my mm-hmm. move. I've been in such go mode since I moved back down like in April. You've been traveling, but, like, and like... I've been traveling. My it looks. Like like four drag queens just both consistently <laughs> fucked and fought like all over my room and it is just like, like we can't decide what to do <laughs> we can't decide what to do my, my room itself needs its own personal vision board because it is getting <laughs> oh and then um i might be doing the great drag debate which is run by nebula omega july 6th but that could also be august 3rd because she hasn't told me that yet so if nebula <laughs> if you're listening girl needs some details yeah well let um, everyone know where they could find you on social media because that way they could look it up uh, for absolutely yeah so i have my facebook page uh, on facebook candy snatch and then on Instagram, I am the Candy Snatch, but I'm not necessarily the Candy Snatch yet because you have to scroll through a couple of people to find me. I'm still working my way to that top, right? So follow me so this bitch can finally be a top uh, of something. I really don't do Twitter, but None I probably should. Things. None of them do Twitter. Y'all should. You guys have so much shit to talk. I feel like the, the thing about Twitter, though, is I like... On the fly, I have so many fucking witty things to say. If I'm going to put that into like 140 characters, I'm just like, oh, what am I doing with myself? I just can't. Um, but yeah, please follow me. And then, of course, thank you so much, Amanda. This has been such an enjoyable experience. And I can't wait to see you on stage next, too. Yeah. Uh, I'll let them know. I let them know in the intro usually where I'm where I'm going to be. Because cool. um, I'm going to be in Memphis, actually, this weekend uh, for Queer uh, Fest. Oh, so. amazing. Yeah, with Han Calger. I don't know if you know Han. Han's amazing. Yeah, he's oh my also gosh. been on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to take a road trip together. We might do a... I'm thinking thinking of doing like a road trip podcast where we record on the way up you know that would have be like fun. a yeah. like a driving and just you know record and then cut it down into something feasible because why not what else are we doing yeah well, other than that we'll be listening great to time other podcasts to, to like, just riff off of yeah. one another you know that'd be great oh my gosh yeah well, thank you so so much yeah thank you so much 
thank you to our guest Candy Snatch for sharing her world with you. A special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing this podcast. Check us out on social media. We are Near and Queer to My Heart on Instagram and Facebook. We are Queer to My Heart on Twitter. Send us some love. Give us some ratings on iTunes. Thank you all so much. You can check out the live queer storytelling show, Greetings from Queer Mountain, in New Orleans, Austin, Oakland, New York City, and now Baton Rouge. Thank y'all. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.